0: The Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight, expertise, top guest. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on OffTheHookSports.com. I compute and obey. Now to Dave Hooker.
2: Ready. Here we go. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker, already a group on board. Appreciate that. Hit that like button. We are loaded up today. Blake Topmeyer will join us from Gannett. He is their SEC football analyst, so want to visit with him. He's got a great column that came out this morning discussing why you pretty much have to have a quarterback to compete in the SEC. And uh, a brief look at the history of that. Also, I wanted to go back to a column, and we were in the middle of March Madness that he wrote about Georgia and the culture problems that they might have there, and we had the culmination of March Madness, so a chance to look back on what Tennessee did, a couple of Sweet 16 runs, and we'll get to the Cravens today's tough question, and Caleb, good morning. How are you, sir? Nice, tight haircut. I like it. Thank you. Thank you. I also got my beard
3: shaped up just a little bit, so... You know, I it's like that.
2: A, my I, it's, it's funny you bring that up. I've lost my hairstylist. She's moved to another place, and I'm very picky about my hair, so it could get boofy before I stalk her and find her. Not that that's weird.
4: <laughs>
2: I totally understand. It's very, very – when I moved,
3: it became very hard to find a hairstylist. I've had a lot of trouble, but I think I found one. This is a um, friend of mine now that uh, we met at our local pub, and, yes, we have a local pub that we walk to pretty much every day. Spending way too much money and ingesting way too much alcohol there. But, hey, you meet cool people.
2: Uh, yeah, if I could walk to a pub, that'd make things a lot different. Um, I can barely walk to uh, the uh, – the, uh, not the post office, the mailbox. That's what they call those things. We still use those. It's not just all email. Let's get to today's tough question brought to you by Craven Wings. They have debuted, by the way, the uh, brunch – and if anybody is old enough to remember this, the Italian Market and Grill, you might be, Caleb. It's going to be close. But they're the most incredible brunch I've ever been to anywhere in the United States, that's what they're going to do at uh, Craven Wings. So check them out. They are phenomenal. I'll tell you more about them just tell you, it's the best wings in Knoxville. I'm proud to be associated with them. But today's tough question I already put up on Twitter. I have no idea. In our 5 o'clock production meeting, I told Caleb, don't give me the answer to this, or I'm going to make you eat 10 Grim Reaper wings. But we didn't have to go that far. Today's tough question brought to you by Craven Wings is now.
0: Today's tough question. Take a side. Take
2: a stand.
0: The Dave Hooker Show a presentation of offthehooksports.com.
2: So I asked the question just straight out, but I'll phrase it a bit differently with Caleb. What would be better for Tennessee's athletic department? Would it be a men's final four or a straight out national championship for the women? Just showing up in the final four, you're going to get beat first game. You're even a... 10 or 11 seed that's one of the greatest cinderellas of all time i'm not even talking about this year in which they should have gone deeper but what would be bigger for tennessee's athletic department to have the women run roughshod win a national championship or would it be for tennessee just to make the final four what say you Caleb Calhoun, and I want to hear from you on the message board. Please hit the thumbs up button so we can bring more people in. The like button helps us. And if you haven't subscribed, what are you thinking? What do you got, Caleb? We've got
3: people are going to be prisoner in the moment and say, based on what happened this year, winning the women's national championship now supersedes it. I, I got to bring realism to it, though. This year was a major exception compared to years past in, in, in college basketball. 95% of the time, the men's Final Four is going to draw better ratings and be a much better revenue driver in general. They play at football stadiums, guys. They play at football stadiums for a reason in college basketball for the Final Four. The payout's just better. So you have to say Final Four, in particular because the women already have eight national championships. I just... i. I, I know this year was a little bit unique, but I thought that, look, we, we, we see the evidence now. People say they hate seeing the same powerhouse teams win at all. Well, you know what? If you don't have blue bloods in the Final Four, you're not going to draw a lot of ratings. And we saw that with men's basketball this year. So you can complain all day long about the blue bloods staying relevant all the time. They are the revenue drivers of college basketball. UConn is barely a blue blood. I know they got five national titles, but they've also missed eight NCAA tournaments in the last 25 years, so... I would call them a blue blood now. It's hard for me, though, because what's a a blue blood? Someone who's always in the NCAA tournament or someone who is missing it every three years but is also winning it every time they go? It's like... At what
2: what point did the ladies have to struggle where they're not a blue blood in women's basketball anymore?
3: Well, I think UConn women are still a blue blood. I do. I think even though they haven't won... I do, but
2: if we're having this conversation in 10, 15 years that Tennessee can't get past the Sweet 16 then that's something that I think not only we would discuss whether or not they're a blue blood, but we'd be looking back and like, how did you not do that? But that's 10, 20 years down the line. Well, Tennessee's in
3: much bigger danger than UConn is of of this. If you look at the recent success in history of both programs, I mean, Tennessee hasn't won a title since 2008. Utah has won. UConn has won six titles since then, including four straight three undefeated seasons they Tennessee. I don't think I don't think Tennessee's had a top five team since two thousand
2: eight. Okay, so let me hear from the message board. Cravens today's tough question is: What would you rather do? Would you rather have the men go to the final four, or would you rather have the women win an outright national championship? So this is what we have so far on the Twitter, which Elon Musk may take away from us one day, but we shall see. Uh, by the way, I was on his a uh, uh, little teleconference twitter teleconference he had with engineers and there were mistakes being made that he wasn't even aware of it was pretty classic okay so who knows what the twitter is going to be before long but for now it is a place where you can put polls and that's what we have done so right now 75 percent say men make the final four they would rather tennessee make the final four then the Lady Vols win a national title. Does that surprise you at all?
3: No, because that's something the men have never done. And I think that that's what stands out the most, is the men have never made the Final Four. Lady Vols have won eight national titles. They are still, that's and they've won at least two, they won two this century. So they're still entrenched as a program, the
2: Lady Vols. Okay, so if I would have put a lead eight, do you think it would be more along the lines of 50-50 or could the women even take?
3: I think the women would take it at that point. Really? I, think, I think the women would take it. I think anybody that would rather an, an elite 8 than a women's national championship, knowing where women's basketball as a sport is going right now, I think that that's a little short-sighted. Yeah, you want that you want the national championship for for Tennessee women. Also, just to remind the world as women explodes, like who was the original who was the OG of women's basketball in the program. So,
2: it's Yeah, I You know me well enough, so you might have to back me here. I'm not sexist in any shape, form, or fashion. I hope the women can get all they can get. I had great respect for Pat Summit and what she built. But if you're going baseline going into next year, I think it would be more important for the men because they generate significantly more revenue to make the Sweet 16 than the women to win a national title. I know titles are great to have and banners are awesome, but at the end of the day, just for the financial foundation of the athletic department year in and year out, this is how crazy I am. You don't even have to talk elite eight with me. I'd say men make the sweet 16 every year and let the chips fall where they may with the women. That sounds sacrilegious. When you talk about Tennessee, don't is, isn't it? Sounds awful.
3: Yeah. And I, 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 I think that's a little different, though, Dave, with where the game is going. I mean, did you see the ratings of women's games drew the other night?
2: I wanted to bring this up to you, as a matter of fact. So, did you? Did I share this with you? That now part of this is because they're on ESPN and they're being promoted by ESPN, so they got as much coverage on an average sports center as the men's tournament. Okay, so here are the numbers that I was told: uh, the highest-rated uh, NBA game on ESPN in this past year was about a two point eight million. And the NBA is huge, might not be huge in East Tennessee, but it's huge nationwide. It's probably second, I would say, to the NFL. You could argue third to college football. Then after that on ESPN, now this was a tournament game, but at one point uh, there was a 2.4 million rating for the women. Just games on ESPN the highest regular season men's rating was 2.2. So am I comparing apples and pears or oranges a little bit because that was a regular season game versus a postseason game? Yes. But for the first time in my lifetime, they're pretty close to being on the same plane of existence, Caleb. I'm
3: willing to bet you when the numbers come out that the women's national championship game had more viewers than the men's national championship game. I'm willing to bet you that. Wow. I'm really? Yes, I think they might. The Women's National Championship had more viewers than any Stanley Cup game since 1973.
2: I saw that too. And a lot of it's Caitlin Clark, who's fantastic to watch. If you haven't seen her, well, then dump more money into the women's program at Tennessee. Do what you got to do. Then well, Kelly
5: also- well, then, um, let me just
2: say this, the, the, then Kelly Harper's not good enough because if you have all the support and you're not getting to the final four on a regular basis as a women's basketball coach, you're losing a lot of publicity and it's there for the taking. Not as easy as when it was just Pat and Gino, but it is there for the taking. There's no reason Tennessee can't be in the final four in the women's side each and every year.
3: Yeah, dump more money and also Tennessee needs to move past. This is a huge problem with any blue blood in any sport they are. Oftentimes, older programs believe in a certain philosophy that may go by the wayside. I don't mean just on the court basketball. Tennessee treats the women's game in a very kind of classy way. Like, you know, you go to Tennessee Lady Vol's game and they clap for the other team in the starting lineup. That's like kind of a tradition.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Guys, stop that now. I mean, now. I mean, yesterday. What's making the women's game so exciting? Was Caitlin Clark was talking so much trash, and then Angel Reese talks trash back to her, and there's so much disrespect. That's what makes the game fun. That's how the NBA exploded in the first place. It wasn't just Bird and Magic the Rivalry, it was that Larry Bird was the best trash talker in basketball at that time. And yep. it made it made it much more intense. Tennessee is gonna have to get with the times. Nobody wants the whole like win with class and dignity and yada yada yada. No, you gotta have you gotta add a little flair into the game now. And other schools are doing that. And if Tennessee is still stuck in the whole, I mean, if, if they're stuck in that 90s method of, you know, we're young ladies and we conduct ourselves in a certain way, nobody wants to see that. They want to see the same thing they see with the men's side. They want to see some trash talking, a little bit of chipping, a little bit of fighting maybe. That's what they want to see. And that's what's going to make it fun. And it starts, Tennessee fans, with do what you do with the men in college basketball. During women's basketball games when the other team starting lineup is introduced, shout sucks when every, player comes, when every player's name is mentioned. Start doing that now.
2: (laughs) Yeah. um, I like a little bit of the classiness. If you're way better, it's kind of rubbing your nose in it. But when you're kind of on the equal playing field, then yes, maybe you need to do something else. I still go back to the Florida game on the men's side where they, they held the picture up of the young lady that was in uh, the Playboy magazine. That's the best trash talking that I've ever seen in my life. I don't know. if it if, Who is that again? Was it Matt? It was Miller? Matt Walsh was his name. Matt again. Walsh. Matt Walsh. OK. Uh, so to, to this question, and it's brought to you by our friends at Craftreads, uh, as you mentioned, the women's uh, ratings are just shattering records. What role did Tennessee history play in building up the sport to where it is now? Also, John saying the women's game was at three thirty on Sunday, and we had John mentioning that the game was at nine twenty last night. Amen to that. Uh, I actually, if if I ever were to work in or accept some sort of job in the Central Time Zone, the the simple fact that it's in the central time zone would have a major effect in my decision. Why can't these games start a little bit earlier? So I think that's a factor in the ratings as well. But is Tennessee responsible for this? I'd say about 75 or 80 percent. I I would I would say Pat Summit is the penultimate person responsible for where the women's game is now. It's not even close. I think Gino Ariema would have been just fine showing up at the party. And just cruising through winning his championships, I don't think he nearly as much as Pat Summit cared to promote the entire game, and Pat Summit did, and that's why the game is where it's at, which makes it more difficult for Tennessee. But I don't believe Pat Summit would have it any other way.
3: I agree, she was fighting for this in the 80s, she was begging for TV exposure, and she probably had. Look, I don't know how real they are, but I do believe there were some tangible opportunities for her to become the first women, woman to coach in the men's game. And I think she never would have taken that job because I think she had a she had a personal goal to build up the women's game. By the way, had she wanted to take that job, that would have been great too. I'm not knocking that. Either one is fine, but you have to give her a certain level of respect to say, I want to build this up rather than take a job somewhere else. And she is, you can't, You can't take that away from her. And Tennessee had some of the original, should we say, kind of, even though I say they're still a little square, they had some of the players that started to make the game cool. I mean, Shamika Holesklaw was cool. Candace Parker is still cool. You know, she's all over ESPN or CBS and analyzing the men's tournament. I mean, they had the type of players that brought a certain level of swag to the game that the game really needed. And I think that helped it.
2: I'll tell you the one reason I didn't want her to ever take a men's job. Go ahead and click that like button. New people on board. Blake Topmeyer will join us shortly. And if you haven't subscribed, do so. The the, the reason I didn't want Pat Summit to ever take a men's job, and I felt really strong about this. Wanna remind everybody, crafttreats.com, use the promo code off the hook, promo code off the hook, get 20% off the chill pills with CBD in them that will help with your pet's digestive issues, also arthritis or anxiety issues. And they've got non CBD as well. Use the promo code off the hook. That's off the hook for 20% off. I thought it would open the door for it to be a circus. I thought that Pat summit, the way she handles herself probably would have been just fine and it wouldn't have turned into a circus, but I thought there was at least the possibility that it could be some sort of circus for whatever woman took a man's job first in, in men's, in men's basketball. I just thought there was the opportunity for that to happen. And already before she got sick, before she won her fifth national title, her legacy was so tied to women's basketball and was so special in a lot of different ways of being selfless to the game, to the sport, I didn't want to see that door even cracked open that you could say, yeah, no wonder they got beat. Uh, You know, It's a women's coach for the men's team. Yeah, I just didn't even want that to be a possibility.
3: Oh, I agree. It's my thoughts on always, you know, if somebody's working out in something and you have them try something else with your program, you don't want to see their legacy have to be tainted at all. Tennessee should know this firsthand, by the way. It's the same concept with, I don't know how you feel about this, Dave, but I never like seeing beloved players from a school become ha- be hired to become that school's head coach because you run the massive risk of them hurting their legacy. I mean, Scott Johnny Majors is the prime example.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Scott Frost.
3: Scott Frost. Yeah. Scott Frost, a big one. Larry Finch at Memphis, Penny Hardaway might have the same thing happen to him at Memphis. And it's like, you're running a really big risk of like, okay, yeah, you're beloved. I mean, it happened to Holly Warlick. You know, it was really hard, I'm sure, to have to fire Holly Wurlick. She was Pat Summit's right-hand woman for all of those national championships. She was the first All-American guard to play for Tennessee. But you had to fire her. You just had to.
2: Okay, let me ask you this, then. Would Pat Summit, in a vacuum, not all the negative media publicity that she would have gotten, would she have had success coaching the men? And by success, I'm saying at least – at least a Tom Izzo level where you're knocking on the door each and every year. Now, Izzo does have one championship, but I'm, I'm not I'm, – let's take away the championship. You're just knocking on the door. You're a realistic team to win a championship because that's success at the men's level. Like a little bit more than Rick Barnes, a little bit less than Tom Izzo. Would she have been in that level? I think she would. I think
3: she would have. I think largely she would have because – there's such a pool in college basketball of talent that yes, there would have been a lot of elite players that don't want to go play for a woman, but I think there would have been a few really elite players that are five stars that would have thought it really cool to go play for Pat summit. Honestly,
2: I think she would have won. I've always said this too. I think she would have won over moms See and, 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 and a lot of these households. I think the moms would have been like, yeah, we're going to do a little something different. And she's a proven coach. She's going to take care of, and, and whether she's male or female, She's going to take care of my son because she runs a strict program. I mean, I'll never forget you know, Candace Parker being up past curfew and they were playing in Chicago. She, Pat Summit, for those that don't know, always had this promise that she would play where you were from so uh, your your family and your friends could see you play in person without having to travel across the country. Well, she did that for Candace Parker, and Candace Parker was past curfew, and Candace Parker in her hometown game got suspended for half the game. I mean, Caleb, that's <laughs> uh, that was pretty gutsy, but as a parent, that's exactly what I would want. Lay down the law if they don't follow it, it's their fault,
3: yeah. And and look at Candace Parker now, it's like she she can't, she always thinks of Pat. She you could tell she thinks of Pat Summit as a second mom almost because of how much love she has for Pat. And she would probably be the first to tell you that Pat was right to suspend her for that game. And um, I, I agree, I think that. A lot of moms would want that, and a lot I, there would be some players that would want it too nowadays. You know, if, if this was two thousand, I debate that there was still you know still a little bit uh, uh, maybe a lot of male players wouldn't want to do that in two thousand. But nowadays, where it's kind of cool to like the women's game, I think that there would be a there would be a lot of interest in playing for Pat, and that's the thing women's college basketball is still driven more by recruiting than anything else. If you're looking at the teams that are winning it, there's not, it's kind of where football was before the advent of the spread. Whereas, you know, this recruiting outside of the triple option at Nebraska and the fun and gun at Florida recruiting drove who was good in the nineties more than anything else. And women's basketball is still at that level. Pat summit won two national titles in 2007 and 2008 because she had Candace Parker. It's just that simple. And I think in the men's game though, she would be able to recruit at that level. And that's why I think she would do well because she would land not everybody, but you only need a couple of high-profile transcendent five stars in every class to be have a good program, and she would have those.
2: Blake Topmeyer with Gannett. He is the SEC columnist. We'll visit with him. Is Georgia in trouble? And also – you yeah, have to have a great quarterback to truly compete in the SEC. He's got to call him out on that today. Stay tuned. Two minutes with Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker off the hook sports.
0: I know you like the heat. you got to try my signature sauce. 87, dude, you know, I love you. And I love to try your wing sauce. But when it comes to wings, I need them really hot. I hit 105 on the radar gun. I need
4: to be pretty spicy.
0: Yeah, I know that man. Look, if sauce 87 isn't enough for you, I guess you can try the Holy Moses or the Grim Reaper.
4: Mm, Now we're talking.
0: Take
1: it from these Farragut admirals when you're craving wings. It's got to be Craven Wings. Visit them online at cravenwings.com.
5: With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center.
4: Ah.
0: Before KDIS, I was, I was really heavy into the drug culture. Um, I was selling drugs. I was just constantly in pain. I was missing like a good support system in my life. KDIS has given me everything that I need in order to successfully have a wonderful recovery, in order to have a life that I didn't even know was possible. Before. And it's not just about me anymore. And I love that. I absolutely love it. You
1: can take your life back. Call KDIS today.
5: Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry. I'm a jeweler. And we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. We took it all.
0: Um, who's this guy? Hello, Wizard! The Dave Hooker Show. Who? A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave Hooker
2: portions of the program brought to you by Bassi Lawn and Garden Man Alive it's worth the drive Bassi Lawn and Garden has the commercial industrial mowers and residential right there in Cleveland so they've got the buying power makes it worth the drive if you're restocking a fleet or starting a business to come from Nashville Knoxville or Chattanooga they're in Cleveland Toro count on it Bassi Lawn and Garden Man Alive it's worth the drive and Man Alive he's worth the read Blake Topmeyer joins us now. Gannett's SEC football columnist. Blake, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Hey, I I appreciate the time. So you and I, I don't know if this says something bad about you, but you and I have similar thought processes sometimes. You'll write a column that I've kind of been thinking about. And I want to talk about the quarterback column that you had. But first, I want to go back to, I thought you... It's essentially called out which was the right thing to do um that georgia has a culture problem right now they've had multiple issues of, of cars involved and I, I with with groups of people that have ties to the university i just want to get your thoughts on where georgia's program is right now it's not to say it can't be fixed but for now i'd be a little bit concerned if i'm kirby smart you
6: well i mean he won a national championship two years in a row. So, you know, if there's a discipline issue um, and I think you could, and and I did make the case that there was particularly as it, as it pertains around um, these repeated instances of high speed driving, uh, that's, it's not spilling over into performance on the field. I think that's, that's one thing you can say. Um, But I do think, you know, from a larger lens, it is concerning, um, for reasons beyond whatever's happening on the field for reasons for athlete safety. Um, I mean, we, we saw uh, obviously the the tragic incident in January. So first and foremost, uh, I think that's why the issue needs to be addressed, Um, you know, beyond the football matters of, of any of this wins and losses and the whole bit. um, We've seen this become an issue with Georgia. We've seen it become a repeated issue. Um, You know, you, you saw in that, um, that police body cam video uh, during a, a Jalen Carter traffic stop last fall. Uh, the police officer said during that video that he, he quote, stopped a bunch of y'all's football players and, quote, y'all need to slow down. And and that message obviously didn't get through. And, and as I wrote, I, I think Kirby Smart has responsibility to make sure that message does get through.
2: No, I, I agree completely. And in, in another life, Uh, I covered a Tennessee football program that had off-field issues and still had success on the field. Do fans really care until it starts affecting what's happening on the field? Because I think it tends to trend that way, that if you don't have discipline off the field, at some point it hurts your discipline on the field. That's my take.
6: Yeah, I think fan bases are split on this. I I think there's there's obviously a good chunk – of most fan bases that sort of embody the just win baby mantra. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you will even jokingly see sometimes with a lot of programs in the sec, uh, when an athlete is, is arrested for some minor offense, you'll, you'll hear fans joke, Oh, we're back. You know, as if a sign of, of delinquent behavior is, <laughs> is somehow linked to success on the field that you're throwing standards out the window, uh, for athlete conduct. Um, you know so some fans don't care but I do think you know within every fan base there there is a portion um, of folks who who are uncomfortable with with repeated um, behavior that uh, that runs afoul of the law and you know what the split is I can't say if you're winning games no question I, I think your fan base is is more tolerant of certain behavior um, than they are when you're when you're losing games um, but I do think you know, kind of at all times. There's, there's maybe a, a quiet portion of every fan base um, that hates to see stuff like this happen, and and would prefer their their coaches. Um, you know, maybe not be the old school iron fisted dis- disciplinarians, uh, but to still have um, you know some sense of control over what's happening in in their program.
3: Blake, dare I say? Is this going too far to say that Kirby Smart is reaching Urban Meyer level of defiance the way Urban Meyer was at Florida in the late 2000s? Ouch.
6: I think that's probably a stretch at, at this point. Um, yeah, I think I think that's probably going too far. Uh, you know, the, the, there, there doesn't seem to be, at least publicly, you know, there, there doesn't seem to be a lot of um, action, uh, attention, attention. Uh, Disciplinary measures taking toward this per- particular issue um, of high speed driving within his program, um, you know, I think it's it's fair to say that he's turned a blind eye, um, you know, to to repeated uh, high speed driving uh, conduct within his program. I, I think all of that, and and I think it does demand, um, particularly in light of of what happened in in, in January. Um, you know, that high, high speed, car crash, uh, in which alcohol was involved, uh, resulted in, in the death of an athlete and, and a staff member. I mean, that has to be a wake up call. Um, you know, if, if, if he had his head buried in the sand before and said, um, you know, kids will be kids, high speed driving comes, comes with the territory. You can't have that anymore. Um, you shouldn't need a wake up call like that, but now that that's happened, um, you know, I think going forward, you have to have to take this seriously.
2: Like, I think the scary thing to me is the trend is the, the players and the coaches just rule the media as far as accessibility and, and that sort of thing. And nowadays you can say, let's say Tennessee after the South Carolina game, you say, I'm not going to get into the Jeremy Banks situation. Uh, Nico recently was asked a question. Does the NIL put more pressure on him? He goes, next question. Like he was Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. (laughs) And there just seems to be, and I, I get that with football to some extent, but there seems to be nowadays this standoffishness even more than I was your guy's age that says I can just tell you to step off and I don't have to answer your questions. And that to me is scary when you don't have to answer to the media when serious issues like this are going on Kirby smart should have to say something a little more concrete. Sorry. I rambled on a little bit there.
6: Well, yeah. And I, I think it's, it's on the media to, to hold uh, power to account for, for sure. Uh, I would agree with you that over time uh, a lot of columnists have lost their punch for whatever reason. Uh, I think access could be part of it. Um, you know, I think some of it is, is just sort of the, the way of the industry. We have fewer vo- voices, um, you know, at, a, at our, our papers of record anymore than we used to. And I think sometimes we wind up with storytellers in those columnist positions uh, when you what you really need is opinion voices <laughs> in those columnist positions. If, if you're a columnist and you don't have opinions, uh, I would argue you're not doing your job. Um, now, some people don't see it that way, and, and I think that's kind of the, the evolution of, of the position. But, uh, yeah, I think you're right that a, that some of it does trace back to the shrinking access um, and, and the threat of of peeling back that even further. If, if uh, you dare, you know, uh, hold someone to account or, or take a heavy hand on someone, <clears throat> the way I look at that is, you know, I got... I don't know. Do we still count column inches anymore? Seems like anymore, it's more on word counts. But let's say I got tw- I got twenty column inches uh, four days a week and 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 seven times uh, a week during the season. Uh, you can give me access, uh, or you can not give me access. But I still have those column inches to fill, <laughs> <laughs> one one way or the other. And I still have opinions to
3: air. Uh, Blake, how much of Georgia's, I guess, lack of discipline is a. How much of this is an administrative reaction to the Mark Rick years where they spent 20, not 20, but 15 years with Mark Rick believing they could win a national title with integrity. And they had more integrity than any program in the SEC during that time, bar none. And it didn't work out. So how much of this was the administration just throwing their hands up and being like, you know what, forget it. We're just going to not care at all anymore because we're tired of not winning national titles.
6: I think a lot of schools have that mentality. I, I don't think this is a, a Georgia situation in particular. The high-speed driving seems to be rooted at Georgia. But I think this evolution um, it, it really is, is rampant across the SEC. I mean, we just saw Ole Miss basketball hire Chris Beard uh, one month after uh, a felony arrest charge that he was facing was was dropped in just two months after he was fired for cause, um, and his previous employer labeled him, quote, unfit to lead. Uh, we saw Nick Saban during the football season. Uh, the severity of the incidents um, are not necessarily comparable, but we saw Nick Saban with the Jam- uh, Jermaine Burton incident and, and the Tennessee fans uh, rushing the field, uh, and Jermaine Burton caught on video uh, making contact with, with a female student in the head And and Nick Saban tried to gaslight us all uh, into believing that Jermaine Burton, uh, who had his helmet in hand and was casually walking off the field, uh, was in some way scared of this joyful reveler, this petite college co-ed. And that's why he bopped her in the head. I mean, that's that's ludicrous. Um, You know, the (laughs) uh, I mean, Josh Heupel, you know, Tennessee, Josh Heupel, Jalen McCullough uh, was arrested and sat out, what, one game before he, he stepped back on the field uh, for, you know, allegations of, of a serious incident last fall. So I think this is, uh, frankly, guys, I, I think this is happening throughout the SEC. I do think there's a culture now um, throughout college sports, college football in particular, that win at all costs. And, um, you know, in many cases, I do think athlete discipline has been peeled back um, and, and part of that could be athletes have so much more power and control now than they used to. Um, they, they can, they don't like the way the program is being run. Uh, they can, they can hop in the portal pretty quickly and, and be gone. And, uh, you know, that combined with the pressure that coaches faces to, to win or, or be fired, I think maybe has some coaches running their programs in a way that if you gave them truth serum, they wouldn't actually like to run it that way
2: great column on quarterbacks that ran this morning uh Blake Topmire joining us of uh, Gannett he is the SEC columnist for Gannett and really it's what we would kind of expect but you you illustrated it in your column it's pretty difficult to win with without a go-to guy quarterback in the SEC
6: yeah it is and I was uh you know that <laughs> as you said that, that's it's no profound observation i was what was surprising is some of the, the numbers that really hammer that home. Um, so I, I took it through a lens of first-team all-SEC quarterbacks. You know, what does it mean to have the best quarterback in the conference? Obviously, we all know that's beneficial, right? But just how beneficial it is, oh, man, it, it is crucial. Um, so Jay Cutler was a first-team all-SEC quarterback for Vanderbilt uh, in 2005. Uh, Vanderbilt had a losing record that season. That is the last time a team with a first-team All-SEC quarterback has had a losing record. In the 17 years since then, if you had a first-team All-SEC quarterback, you had, at a minimum, a winning record. 15 of those 17 years, you were ranked in the top 25 with a a, a first-team All-SEC quarterback. Four of those quarterbacks won national championships – in the years Uh they were first team all sec Uh, and the overall winning percentage during that 17 year span of teams having a first team, all sec quarterback, those teams won 85% of their games. So it's huge. It it means more. We, we, we know this. It means more than having a a first team or an outside linebacker or, or whatever, but you really can't overstate it. If you got the best quarterback in the conference uh, not only are you well-positioned to win a bunch of your games, you're positioned to be in the running for a national championship. Um, we, we've seen that happen over the years in, in this conference. And so that's why, um, you know, I think these debates, these preseason debates about who's the best quarterback in the SEC, it is a, it's a hearty debate this year. You know, is it K.J. Jefferson? Is it Jaden Daniels? Uh, Will Rogers is a stat stuffer. Um, Joe Milton looked awfully good in, in the Orange Bowl. Uh, Spencer Rattler had a good month in November. You know, it's it's fun preseason debate, and and maybe the lists don't matter. Uh, I'll, I'll hear that. The, however, you and I rank them uh, here in the month of April. Maybe that doesn't matter, but the end result does matter. Whoever is the best quarterback in the SEC, that has a, a huge impact uh, on carrying your team. We saw that just last year in the impact Hendon Hooker, first team all SEC had on, on Tennessee.
2: Let me make sure I got this right, and Caleb's going to jump in here. So you based it off which ranking, pre or postseason, and did you go riders or coaches?
6: Postseason and okay. and writers plus coach. actually, um, there's not been a lot. There's not been much dispute in in the first teamers between riders and coaches. It's it's actually kind of weird. I thought there would be more dispute, um, but it seems to be in, in most of these years. Uh, it was pretty pretty unanimous across the board, whether writers or coaches, who the best quarterback in the league was. But, yes, I looked at postseason uh, 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 awards versus team performance. So that's not a surprise, right? Your quarterback has a great season. Uh, your team probably wins a lot of games. But, again, just how a 85% um, – you know, you could be a stat stuffer quarterback um, and, and, and be in the conversation for first-team all-SEC honors – but if you're ha- if you're playing at that level, at a first-team all-conference level, your team's pretty dang good too. So, um, you know, I don't know who the answer to the debate is this 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 year. I'd lean toward KJ Jefferson, I think, from Arkansas. I think, like I said, there's five or six other guys that have a case for being in that debate. Uh, but whoever it winds up being, whoever winds up being the best quarterback in the league this year, uh, is going to have a huge impact on on their team.
3: Blake, uh, it's interesting you bring up this. You brought up. Jay Cutler because that was 2005 and Tim Tebow obviously arrived at Florida in 2006 and there was Tim Tebow for four years and then you had Auburn out of the goodness of his heart Cam Newton just committed to Auburn and there was no money involved whatsoever but um, he went there for free and won a national championship would you say those two was really when it started to change or was there a moment to you where it just it kind of flipped and it like and the quarterback play became so much more important in the SEC I think that was
6: probably the yeah, I think I think you identified a good onset there. Um, I I think what has maybe changed even from then, though, you know, as you think about Tim Tebow, uh, we all know what made him such a a special player was the the dual threat capability that he had. And was like having a, you know, a a fullback or a tight end in the backfield. And oh, by the way, through a pretty good deep ball, too. Right. He, He could sling it. Uh, pretty well, particularly at, at this level. I think the, the passing games, though, continue to evolve, and the teams that we see win in this conference, uh, slinging it across the yard, has, has changed even since the Tebow days. I mean, you look at what Joe Burrow did in 2019 with LSU, throwing for 5,600 yards and, and 60, 60 touchdowns. That year, I mean, that is that is even new for for the SEC as as compared to the Tebow and and the Cam Newton uh, days. And then you look at um, you know the way Alabama has has evolved the last couple years. uh, You know, with their their run of good quarterbacks with with Tua and Mac Jones and and Bryce Young and the evolution of Alabama going from winning with bully ball to winning. Um, you know, with, with much more of a, a passer-friendly and a passer-reliant offense, I would say. Uh, now, we've certainly gotten hints uh, that, that Alabama is going to pivot back to sort of maybe the, the old-school ways or something resembling that more closely, uh, but, but during this run of quarterbacks, certainly their offense has evolved, and, and uh, even though Tennessee's offense is very balanced run and pass, uh, you know, certainly it's, it's a forward-thinking offense that we weren't really seeing much of uh, in the SEC you know, 15, 17 years ago. And now we have Josh Heupel running that offense at Tennessee. We have Lane Kiffin running something very similar to that offense at Ole Miss. So I think even really uh, in the last five or six years, uh, we've seen a second round of evolution and, and importance on the quarterbacks. But I do think you're right uh, with that ushering in of Tim Tebow and Cam Newton. The quarterbacks took on even more importance at that time. Uh, but now it, it, it's changed once again, I, I think, in this conference.
2: It's a great piece. Uh, Blake, keep up the awesome work. How do people follow you on the uh, the Twitter before Elon Musk destroys it? <laughs> yeah, I'm
6: on Twitter, at btopmeyer. Uh, you can find my work throughout the USA Today network, uh, so if you're listening to this in Tennessee, I would recommend starting. Uh, start local uh, with knoxnews.com uh, or over at thetennessean.com.
2: And then, um, yeah, so we may need your uh, MySpace listing before long if you <laughs> launch please, Twitter. I, I never,
6: I never had one of those actually. Uh, I, I was like aloof to the whole social media thing. I grew up in a small town. I, I still had like dial-up internet access before I went to college. Basically, I got to school and everybody had Facebook accounts, and I'm like, what is this Facebook thing? I was, I was a little slow on the uptake there.
2: Gotcha. Well, you, I, I think you've got it figured out now. Uh, keep up the great work, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Blake Topmeyer. Really good stuff. If you haven't followed him or don't on Twitter, <laughs> coming up was uh he didn't he had dial up still. He's too young to have dial up. No, I
3: had DSL. I dial up for a hot minute.
2: So. Okay. All right, well, it seems a little young. Portions of the program brought to you by Zulbeer, xulbeer.com. Zul beer is the official craft beer of Off the Hook Sports. Great parking downtown where you can sit in a panoramic, awesome view of uh, downtown, and you're going to love it right there in Knoxville, xulbeer.com. and get worldwide award-winning craft beer. Are the ghosts of that Ole Miss game Completely gone for Joe Milton. And for the message board that likes to say, I hate on Joe Milton, then I'm telling you, I don't. I don't. This was Caleb's idea. And also, uh, a couple of uh, college basketball coaches in last night's game uh, that uh, maybe Tennessee could have had. Would they be be in better shape? Both of those topics right after this. Give me two minutes off the hook sports with Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Booker.
5: Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's Best Jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry. I'm a jeweler. And we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts, ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah.
0: What's up everybody? This is University of Tennessee tight end, Jacob Warren. Proud to announce that I'll be working with Craven Wings again this season. And I want you to give your all and try my signature sauce, Sauce 87. At either of the Craven Wings' two locations, Chapman Highway in Seymour and South North Shore Drive at the Markets of Choto. When you're Craven Wings, it's got to be Craven Wings. Online at CravenWings.com.
7: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
0: A presentation of Off The internet is full of pictures of each and every one of you. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off The Hook Sports app. Download now for free.
4: he said nothing you people can't do?
0: Also available on Off The Hook Sports. <laughs>
2: Welcome back. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. People already calling me a Joe hater, and we haven't even gotten into the topic yet. The one that, Caleb, you got to back me here. You came up with the topic. So it's not like I'm throwing Joe under the bus. At our 5 a.m. production meeting this morning, you came up with the topic.
3: Oh, yeah. This was my idea because, I, guys, I'm not a Milton hater. I'm nowhere close to Dave. But oh. I have to react to what people say in press conferences. And there were a couple of quotes by Josh Hypo that may have made me a little nervous if I'm picking Milton to start the year.
2: Okay, let's get to that right now. It's What the age. It's brought to you by Andy Mason, Andy Mason, real com.
0: What the why was he thinking? Release the hounds. The Dave Hooker Show. K- 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 keep cool. A presentation of off the hooksports.com.
2: Brought to you by Andy Mason Real estate.com. What the H. What was Josh Heupel thinking? Andy Mason is the absolute best when it comes to price and service. Andy Mason real Just go there. 40 years of experience in his office and know that you'll get the right home. And you will be very pleased with that home. So, Caleb, what did Josh Heupel say in his press conference that made you somewhat of a Joe Doubter? Is that a good way of putting it?
3: Yes. Yes, because I can't ignore what I've seen on the field and what Heupel said.
2: Okay, what the H, what did he say?
3: So after the scrimmage, when he spoke, I think it was on Monday, he was asked just in general, what did you see from Joe Milton and Nico Iamaliava? He said a few things, but he started with Joe, and he was, and Nico was his second part. While still talking about Joe Milton, guys, this is very clear. This had nothing to do with them together. It had to do specifically with Joe Milton based on the context of the paragraph. He said, there's some things we can learn as far as clock management. Okay, that's a really red flag because we all know the one thing. That- I'm sorry.
2: No, you're right. That's a red yeah. flag jumping out of bounds against the Rebels.
3: Jump running with, with a few seconds left, trying to run for a touchdown and then running out of balance. Yes, that was a huge red flag because we already know Joe Milton may have an issue with clock management and lack of
2: awareness of the clock. That was a statewide red banner. That was more than a flag. I've never <laughs> seen, I mean, I have never seen, I can't recall seeing a player do something. And I'm talking about the act, not the player, but the act doing something so stupid that has he's turned in to an incredible athlete at that at that position
3: i can't i I can't it was jake locker for the titans one year against the saints in 2011 but that's a different story for another day that i'm still i
2: mean (laughs) it is possible but i i would be General Nealon says, give the kid the keys if we're not undefeated after Bama developing a six-year journey, is pointless. No, I don't want to do that either. Uh, and I did at first <clears throat> until I heard the reviews of Nico, which were strong. So, no, I just think you should be willing to put Nico in there quicker than a lot of the people that are – uh, on our message board. Mr. Jones says the rule is changing for the clock stopping after first downs. That's what hype is talking about. That
3: is not what he's talking about. Yeah,
2: I don't, I don't know, <laughs> Mr. Jones. I think that's a little bit of a reach to be honest with you, buddy, but I think that he is talking about clock management as a whole. And um, listen, my concern has always been, and always will be when you see a player make that mistake in the game, are those mistakes correctable? Because there is something to be said for having an innate feel for the game. And the guy that jumped out of bounds against Ole Miss did not have an innate feel for the game, Caleb. And that's something that whether you're a Joe Milton lover, hater, or I believe, like me, realistic and objective, that you can't just up and say, that's going to get fixed. We don't know if that's going to get fixed.
3: Yeah, I agree. And for those that don't think this matters too much, Go back and look at Hendon Hooker against Alabama with 15 seconds to go. These type of situations matter. Do you think for a second, Dave, based on what was said and based on what we saw against Ole Miss, do you think for a second Joe Milton would have been capable of that 15-second game-winning field goal drive?
2: I don't. Uh, to the point where I will tell you that I think that Tennessee probably would have not gone in that route. Probably think, Right. They- I think they probably would have played for overtime.
3: And particularly because in that situation, even if Joe Milton would have completed the passes, we've already talked about his release is slower than Hendon Hooker's. You know, significantly slow. He probably wouldn't have thought to get rid of the ball as quickly as Hendon Hooker did, knowing that you only have a certain amount of time. I mean, Hooker, that was one of the big reasons I'm so high on Hooker in the NFL. That was a masterful 15 second drive. I don't think it's – I think it's underrated just how aware he had to be of how much time was on the clock for each pass he made during that time. I mean, that was just masterful. I think Joe Milton is the exact opposite, and we saw that. And for Heifel to say we worked on some things like clock management – and by the way, he did not say that about Nico, guys. He only said that about Joe Milton. That's a huge red flag.
2: Yeah, but here's the thing you have to remember. He has less than a season. Uh, Well – he should be okay at clock management with almost a full season playing, right? I mean, we're, we're looking at 75-80% of the season when you compare 2021 and 2022 uh, times he had to play.
3: But you said it yourself, isn't it about a feel?
2: No, I'm, I'm with you. You shouldn't be having issues with that feel.
3: Like one of the ones, here's one you might remember. And mm. I know you laugh at how I just randomly remember plays in the back of my head, but you covered that. 2005 LSU comeback game, right? Were you in Baton Rouge for that one? Yes. Do you remember when LSU was up 21 to nothing at halftime and they had the ball near the red zone and they could have gone for more points, but Jamarcus Russell stupidly scrambled and then yes. slid and ran out the clock? Yes. That right there was all I needed to know to know Jamarcus Russell was not going to be an NFL quarterback because that was so next level dumb that he did that.
2: And... Well, I mean, you have to put the old Miss play in that level. Yes, you do. Are you... But you think he'll start the whole season? So where's the disconnect? Because I, I at least have, have said, based off that, based off accuracy issues pre Vanderbilt game last year when he barely threw the ball, and they had a totally different approach in the Orange Bowl where they threw over the middle. I've said there's, I, I I've said there's a realistic chance that Nico is the starter by September.
3: I think this is about for Joe Milton. Heupel is going to sacrifice maybe a win maybe even two (laughs) this year let me i'm just gonna say it because let's let i'm laughing
2: at travis on the message board go ahead he's just oh my
3: gosh i'm reading the quote go ahead go ahead um i will say that hypo i think joe milton is such a leader and respected within the locker room i think that Given the fact that I don't think Tennessee has a college football playoff caliber team this year, even if they snuck in because of their schedule, they get destroyed by whoever they played unless it was TCU. But if they played like they're not ready for the Ohio State to the Georgia's just yet, they're just not. And so I think that because of that, he might even sacrifice an extra win this year or starting Nico early to develop him because of how much Joe Milton has the locker room. Heupel doesn't want to lose the locker room before 2024, which is when I think Tennessee really emerges as a returns back to, I guess, the blue bloods of college football.
2: Travis, go ahead, go
3: ahead, go ahead. No, I just think, I think that's why I think Milton is going to keep the job because he won't do enough to lose it significantly.
2: Travis says the hooker show is officially pro LSU and anti Joe Milton. What in the world is happening? He said, typed with love. It is funny though, that you brought that up, Travis, because I was considering writing a column. About how LSU has it stuffed together a little bit better than Tennessee, and that who they hired, which we could debate her history and uh, not not being a thorough part of the sexual assault investigation that went on at a previous stop, but also LSU's pro day was run tremendously better. They showcased their players while, while Tennessee was running around. Uh, doing their best to get everybody at the line. So I was going to write that column, but I'm not now, Travis, comparing LSU to uh, Tennessee's athletic department because, yes, go ahead. That's so
3: scary too, because LSU, the only thing that's kept them from being a dominant athletic program is they've been run by nothing but incompetence for 30 to 40 years. So the fact that like there's a slight bit of competence now in the program, it's like destined to like be an elite athletic program.
2: LSU to me is Tennessee like about 15 years before everything like, so LSU was a dormant football program in the nineties. Tennessee was dormant in the uh, seventies, early eighties before majors got things rolling. And then you had to build that football foundation and you got better at other stuff. So they made a bad football hire in Will West. I'm not sorry, not Will West, Will Wade. That's (laughs) That's basketball too. Yeah. but uh, Sorry, they made a bad football hire. As as they're coming along, they made a bad basketball hire. The football program is doing well, so they feel like they should make better hires across the board. And in the end, they didn't make a good basketball hire, is what I was trying to say. That reminds me of Tennessee making bad basketball hires. I think that their entire program – is, is now coming along to the point where they can have more leverage and make better hires. Does that whole thing make sense? In other words, Tennessee's football program rose up about 10, 15 years before LSU's. And now you're seeing the rest of the athletic department at LSU catch up when I think they've already caught up at, at Tennessee.
3: Oh, I totally get what you're saying. The thing that was interesting to me though, is Tennessee. Thinking,
2: that was a bit of a reach there for a second. So. Well, there is,
3: a, there is a difference in this way. Tennessee. You do have to work at it to stay elite at Tennessee because, you know, you do have to think ahead of the curve. You've talked about it in the eighties. Majors and Dickey were the first to say, let's schedule games in New Jersey and Boston and LA and whatever for national TV. Tennessee always had to think a little bit ahead of the curve on these things to make sure they stayed relevant. LSU is the reverse in football. You have to work at it to not be successful in football at LSU. It's again, I, I, I talk about it all the time. It's the easiest job. Proof in the footing, Les Miles and Ed on one national championships. There's a reason Nick Saban stayed there, even though he didn't really like Louisiana.
2: <laughs> I, I, I completely agree. Um, and I think now that I think with the Will Wade hire, and now with the Kim Mulkey hire, you're seeing what Tennessee had to do in the men's basketball side. They had to hire some guys, in particular Bruce Pearl, with a little bit of a questionable background because he, it was involved in recording coaches that were supposedly recruiting players. So I think you're seeing that. I think uh, to be able to hire Rick Barnes, a proven coach, with much less baggage was a great sign for Tennessee. And I think you'll see LSU get to that point. But when I saw their pro day and the way it was showcased in Tennessee's pro day, I just thought that uh, LSU was a bit ahead of Tennessee in the way they packaged some things portions of the program brought to you by campbell cunningham taylor and han campbell cunningham taylor and Hahn. look at me no contacts how about that no glasses how about that it is awesome absolutely love it so you have got to go to campbell cunningham taylor and Hahn. at my age they start to do some uh cataract things too so but i can see far and near because of the mono vision they're absolutely phenomenal so we're going to talk some about uh, basketball before we get out of here. Basketball is my favorite sport. I like the way they dribble up and down the court. Just like I'm the king of the microphone, like Dr. J. Moses Malone. Do you remember that song, Caleb? Are you
3: rapping Bow Wow? No, that's way before Bow 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 Wow
2: wasn't alive. That was like 87. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm the young one. You don't remember. Oh, Curtis Blow. Okay. Curtis Blow. Thank you very much. I, this downs. is the
3: generational gap with Dave and I, man.
2: That yeah. was a little before my time. I just remember being like a 12-year-old and saying, I want to be able to say that basketball is my favorite sport. I like the way they dribble up and down the court." I, can I say was it negative
3: fast. one. So I mean, you know.
2: I don't know when it came out. I don't know what you're talking about. 87. We're the same age. Um <laughs> four downs talking basketball. That makes no sense except for right here.
0: 4 downs 4 questions 4 answers The Dave Hooker Show 4, Four. Four? downs A presentation of off the hooksports.com
2: What do you think of the two coaches in the college basketball men's national championship game Caleb
3: I think with one, you're seeing a renaissance of a style of play that I didn't think would be that successful. And with the other, you're seeing a coach that Tennessee missed a chance out on hiring.
2: Okay. Let, let me start with the first one. Which coach runs that physical style that you said cannot get you to the final four, Rick Barnes? What are you thinking? Shake it up, Rick. Come on. Somebody proved Caleb a little bit wrong last night by getting there.
3: Brian Dutcher in San Diego state. And for the record, Brian Dutcher is like very, very, you know, he's a lifelong assistant. So he's a very old school coach and he introduces, he runs the wheel offense and then, and not the football he doesn't wheel
2: run off. the wheel offense nowadays.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, only there are two programs that are running the wheel, Virginia, And San Diego state, Virginia just won a national title doing it a few years ago. And Brian Dutcher runs it with San Diego state. The thing with the wheel offense, it's most important is players have to be familiar with playing with each other because you have to understand for those who don't know players like three are set to one side and two are set to the other. And one's the designated screener on either side. And one is the designated move without the ball. And that's how it goes just back and forth. And it only works if players know exactly where the other guy is going to set the screen. Similar how, Quarterback and receiver, receiver option routes only work if the quarterback can guess which option route the receiver is going to run before he breaks. Like, that's the okay. big thing with the Patriots.
2: So four downs, first question, does the, the fact that uh, they had that much success and got to the championship game, does that change your view of a physical style that Rick Barnes runs? Do you believe it's more manageable in March than when you were absolutely ripping on Rick Barnes? throughout the course of February and March.
3: No, no, the wheel offense is still dependent on a bunch of elite shooters, which San Diego state has. And guess who didn't have that Rick Barnes in Tennessee.
2: Okay. All right. So tell me about, uh, tell me what stands out to you about UConn's coach then.
3: So Dan Hurley, was a prep school coach for about 10 years. And then he coached at Wagner and went 25 and six. And it was just timing didn't add up because Tennessee fired Bruce Pearl the year before he went 25 and six at Wagner. Then Quanzo Martin left the year before Rhode Island really took off under him. And, but if you go to Twitter, there were still some old tweets from people saying Tennessee should hire Dan Hurley. He was very well respected. People really wanted this guy he won the Atlantic 10 back-to-back years at Rhode Island. And then he's gone to UConn now and won a national championship. Tennessee has ha- had Tennessee gotten their hands on Dan Hurley earlier on. We might be talking about a different program. Now, I don't know if Dan Hurley would want to go. He's a Jersey shit. He's a Jersey city guy, Northeastern, Northeastern basketball, old school, big East basketball is his bread and butter. But Bring an old-school old Big East basketball to uh, the SEC might have been an interesting thing to watch. I so, I to,
2: so I want to combine first and second down. Would Tennessee have been better off with either of these coaches had they hired them five years ago? Yes. Yes. Don't no way. Rick Barnes yes. has like 700 wins. Come on, Caleb. It, no. You have to realize what Tennessee needs. Tennessee needs somebody that's going to get them in the Sweet 16 and be entertaining each and every year. And stay out of trouble. Rick Barnes is going to do that. That's why. And on what
3: planet do you think he gets Tennessee to the Sweet 16 each and every year?
2: Well, he did this year. All right. So Travis says no way. Travis has got my back after the Joe Milton comments. All right. So on the women's side, so we combine first, second, and third down, would Tennessee be better off with – would you hire considering Mulkey's murky statements at Baylor, would you hire either one of them ahead of Kelly Harper that made the uh, that made the championship game?
3: You're talking about mucky or Lisa Bluter, the Iowa coach?
2: Yes. Iowa made it because of Caitlin Clark.
3: They did make it because of Caitlin Clark, but okay, you you make it because of talent. I mean Pat Summit won two national titles because of Candace Parker and won three because of Shamika Holtzlaw. So I mean that's just how that works. That's um true. No. And I would say that if, if wow. at other, well, here's why. At other programs, maybe, maybe, but let's start with Kim Mulkey. Look, Tennessee is less than a decade removed from settling their own sexual assault lawsuit with the school, or the school with, with settling its own sexual assault lawsuit that involved the athletic department. That was the biggest reason I said they have to steer clear of Hugh freeze, no matter what. You can't, if you're Tennessee, I'm sorry, you can't afford that type of baggage at the program because of what's happened at the school the last within the last 10 years. Now, Kim Mulkey is not involved in a sexual assault cover-up. Let me be clear on that. But for her to be so insensitive about the situation, which she was, can't hire her. Lisa Bluter, I think that's how you pronounce her name right, Bluter, the Iowa coach? Yes. Different story. She's had success at multiple different programs over multiple different years. I think her style... Yeah, I think she'd have done better than Kelly Harper. I think because she actually – part of the Caitlin Clark phenomenon is Lisa Luter is a big believer in shooters, and shooters shoot. And <laughs> and she's so taking that approach to women's basketball now that hasn't been there, and that's where the game is changing.
2: David said, um, it must be awesome to be Caleb. How else can you be wrong, absolutely wrong, and still po- claim you're right? <laughs> because
3: I'm right. Because I'm right,
2: bro. Oh. I'm right I love really. you, David. Smokey Mountain Red says, "Mulkey uh, looks like your high school friend's drunk mom that wants to act cool, but in the end gets on everybody's nerves." I'm afraid I'm yes. that. I'm afraid I'm that sober dad who wants to hang out with my kids and their friends. And, and the, okay,
3: here's here's something that sticks out about Kim Mulkey to me, and this kind of stands out in a certain way. You can feel however you want to feel about the Britney Griner situation in Russia. You can feel however you want to feel, but the fact that Mulkey, who was Brittany Griner's coach, in college, refused to speak one word in support of her ever was really telling to me. I feel like you should speak one word and Nick Saban spoke a word in support of Henry Ruggs who's going to prison for probably 20 years. Like acknowledging Henry Ruggs did something wrong, but at least spoke out and was like, you know, this is tough for everybody. We're thinking of everybody's families. And you should speak out for a player who played for you, who did a lot for you. I I just feel that way about Kim Mulkey.
2: Okay. But what if... What if Brittany Griner said for years that she didn't like America and she had problems with America and then she's in a Russian prison and it kind of seems apropos?
3: I get the feelings on all of that. But <laughs> a, no, but on a personal level, on a personal level, I'm sure Jim Harbaugh disagrees with Colin Kaepernick on a lot of things because we know where they both lean politically. Guess what? Jim Harbaugh still has a relationship with Colin Kaepernick and that wasn't even his college player. I think you should have relationships one on one that transcend how you may feel about something politically on either side. And that's what kind of bothered me. She should have at least spoken out like this was one of my former players who had a deep connection with. And so
2: that's See, my take on that was that's an American. We go get her no matter what. And we make sure she's back. And I know she had, there's a CIA spy that she's trying to get back and we try to get him back and we do everything we can to get our Americans back. But, uh the fact that she had spoken out against America previously did not particularly rub me the right way and don't expect somebody just to go out of their way to, to come get you. If you've ripped them.
3: No, yeah. I, I, I feel you on that, but I also feel like as a coach, you shouldn't throw a player to the walls because you may disagree with something they said.
2: No, that's, that's- fair. I'm, I mean, I get that. I get, I get back in your guy. Uh, it's been a great show. A lot of fun with, um, And Blake Taubmeyer is really good. Uh, So certainly check that out. If you hadn't uh, hit the thumbs up button, go ahead and do that. So it'll bring more people into the show. If you haven't subscribed, what are you thinking? We have more developments in our Celebrate 98 that we'll announce before the end of the week. Fred White joins us each and every Friday. Josh Ward on Thursday. So we've got a lot going on. You have got to subscribe to the channel. If you don't, you're crazy. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. This has been a presentation.